follow along. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew. It's always nice when we get to new, start a new chapter. Uh, the, uh, lots of this, I suppose, even last the last few weeks has been familiar to us. It's Sermon on the Mount, but as we get into it, uh, we start learning more and more ab- about things. We just sang at the cross, uh, which is obviously the key of everything, but we, we just got done with... Uh, at the end of chapter 5, you know, be perfect even as I am perfect. And we talked about how he's talking about love, uh, committing ourselves to mainly <coughs> the church, each other, uh, and our families, and then eventually even permeating from that uh, even to strangers. But so we're supposed to love like the Father loves is kind of what he's talking about. So this first half of the, or first third, I guess, of the Sermon on the Mount is really that second greatest commandment, that you're to love your neighbor as yourself, that, that love sits there. Now we're going to get into the greatest one where he's going to talk about, well, what does it look like to love God? How, what, what does our life look like when we do that? Um, and that you know, obviously has lots of different scriptures. But remember, the cross is always in the, well, I guess in here, I was going to say in the background, but it's kind of in the foreground here. Uh, it's coming. These are disciples that are listening. This is how disciples, people who follow Jesus, who are committed to him, this is how we're supposed to act. We're going to get this in later part of this chapter where he says, do not be like them does not mean there's anything wrong with them and in general, but it's they're not committed to Christ. So that's that's what the difference is. So when you look at this, he's moving from a Christian's kind of moral righteousness, how we treat each other, to uh, a religious righteousness, how do we interact with God. So practice such as almsgiving, praying, and fasting, which is, you know, piety is the word. Piety is just a word that means doing uh, actions for God. Um, so, you know, sometimes the word pious is a bad word. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, so Jesus teaches that the authentic Christian righteousness includes both morality and piety. You do things for others and yourself, and you do things for God and follow what he says. But both have to do what's in the heart. That's what he's always deeper. I mean, he keeps going deeper. It's not just doing the things. It's why are you doing them? And we're going to see this really, really pointed here. So... We're actually going to uh, just read the first six verses um, and then go down to the fasting part and at a later time we'll hit the, I know it says the Lord's Prayer, I still think it should be called the Disciples Prayer, but we'll get to that when we get there. So verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then going down to verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see a theme through there? Your father 
who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, it's something to always remember. You know, it, it's funny. I remember people saying, it's like, uh, you know, if, if, you could, if you go somewhere, just act like Jesus is with you. Well, he is with you. And even if he's not in you, he still sees it. You can't trick God. I know, what, and we'll talk about prayer in a minute, but I don't know if you do that. It's sometimes if you're praying for something you really want, you might say, you know, God, I don't think you understand how this is going. Which is kind of a silly thing to say, isn't it? Uh, but luckily he gives lots of mulligans out, so he, and he loves us, so that's, that's good. But we have two different things here. We've got back in chapter 5, at the end of the Beatitudes, he says, let your light shine before men. And then here, in chapter 6, he says, beware of being seen by men. Well, which is it? Are we supposed to let our light shine? And are we supposed to you know, make it look like we're not doing anything pious? Um, well, it, it's, again, context, context, context. In, in chapter, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 5, he's addressing human cowardice. We're worried about what other people think, so we don't do the things God wants us to do. So we're kind of a spiritual coward there. Uh, or even right before that, remember, he talked about persecution. You know, I, I, uh, and I, you know, I don't think persecution I'm not worried about. I just don't want it to hurt. It's usually the only thing I don't like is the hurt part. It doesn't hurt, and you can persecute me all you want. Uh, it's the pain I'm not for. Uh, and I think that's hard, isn't it? It's, it's, that's what we want to avoid. I mean, it's just part of who we are. But again, let your light shine. Let the chips fall where they may. Um, verse 1 here is, talking about human vanity you know look at me you know I've, I'm praying I'm good I'm giving I'm fasting that's what he's talking about so both are to have the same effect to glorify God either not being a coward in your actions so you people see that you are doing what God wants but not being vain in your pious actions by showing hey look at me I'm religious um, and that word religious um if you've been in a tactics class, if somebody says, are you religious, what will you say? What do you mean by that? It depends on what you mean by religious. You know, that word has become negative in a lot of contexts. And it, well, if you define relig religious as being annoyingly pious and self-centered, then yeah, I don't think you should be religious. If you define religious as the dictionary does, it's essentially offering yourself up to a deity well, I, I think we should be religious. In that way, Jesus was religious. So, again, you've got to get the terms. Um, but Christian giving. Uh, this is, there's not a lot about Christian giving in the Bible as far as specifics. Uh, there's nothing in the New Testament that says you need to tithe. That's an Old Testament thing. Um, and we, we always use the first Corinth, 2 Corinthians, you know, just chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9. Do it and be cheerful. That's pretty much it. Uh, but this is talking about not how much or whether you should, but how it should look. Um, both the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about compassion for the poor. But Jesus is concerned, which he has been through the whole Sermon on the Mount, is your reason for this. I remember talking to an atheist, this is years ago, as I worked at, in downtown Des Moines, and they were, you know, said, all that matters is what you do, you know, your, your motive doesn't matter. And I'm like, Jesus is almost the exact opposite. He really worries about our motive. Because once in a while in life, you'll do something where your motive is good, but it doesn't turn out great. Uh, and once in a while, you do something where your motive is bad, and it turns out good. You know, um, But God knows our motives. He sees our hearts. What's the reason we're doing this? 
you know, without faith it's impossible to please him. So here's three motivations, reasons for giving. Um, there may be more. I think these hit most of it. Seeking the praise of people. That's essentially what he's talking about here, you know. And we have to be careful with this. Uh, I remember in Keokuk, it was the Horner YMCA. So some dude named Horner gave a bunch of money, which I was really happy because the Y was fun to go to. You can play basketball, you can go swimming, you can have all kinds of fun. So it just it, we got to be careful with that. We don't just because somebody's name's on something doesn't mean they're vain. Uh, but uh, but just again motivation. God knows, and that's the thing uh, that mainly matters here. Making ourselves feel good. Now that's not bad. I like to feel good. You know, but is that the only reason you're doing it? You know, because we, we know there are situations in life when you may give money to someone that makes you feel good that actually does them harm. You have to use wisdom. You know, it's, a, it's sometimes helping somebody can hurt if you're not doing it in a loving way and, and trying to help them in ways that would not hurt them. Um, and then the third one is the approval of our Father in heaven, which is the one he's talking about here. Um, which I think can still make you feel good. And, you know, I guess praise of people is not all bad, is it? As we say, well, we want to make sure all people think we're terrible. Then you're a good Christian, right? Well, you got to be careful with that, right? It's does the praise of people, would God also be honored with that, you know? And that's what we talked to, you know, you know, the senior high kids, whoever you are, young adults. Are you putting people around you that when you honor them, you also honor God? You want at least a few people like that <laughs> that you can be around. In John 12, is, you know, he's talking about the Pharisees here. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Wouldn't it be nice if both of those uh, were the same? That's what you're, you're trying to do. So he's talking about religious hypocrisy. You know, the idea that we're deliberately setting out to deceive people. It all depends on the reward you're seeking. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now that's a metaphor. That's kind of hard to do. That doesn't mean you're supposed to, you know, when you're cooking, you, you just say, well, I don't know what's going on over here. You know, this is, a, this is a metaphor. It's, you know, it's the idea, if you do that, you don't worry about, you know, what people are seeing. And it leaves out motivation one and two. It's not just about getting the praise of people, and it's not just about making ourselves feel good, although you know, that can happen. So, so Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness and not self-congratulation. And if you think this is easy, then more power to you because it's not. Isn't it always? Especially if you, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's just me. Maybe you're much better than I am. That's probably true. But, you know, there's time, hey, you know, I, I gave quite a bit to that. Did you know? And you always got to do this. I don't know why. But, you know, you, you stick your, ch you know, the idea that I've done this, you know, it, it's, it's very much in our, DNA, I think, to do that, to graduate ourselves. Um, and, and, and then, of course, there's a, I should have wore my, my favorite shirt that says I'm humble. Because that's it. It's like, well, you know, yeah, no, no, it's no big deal. No. Talk, tell me more about it. You know, that's kind of the way we do it. I, I'm, I'm humble. You know, it's got to be, it's hard. I realize this. And, and what do you do? You, well, we'll pray, I mean, I guess, to think about it as we think through it. But so the reward uh, is seeing the need relieved, obviously. But And who is the audience? This is the key, and this is kind of the thing coming through this whole sermon. Who's the audience? You know, I don't know if you need to think of your life this way, but we are. You know, you're kind of performing for an audience to some extent. Uh, not all life's a performance, but who are, you, who are you trying to please? You know, you look in Galatians 1. Obviously, Paul says, 
I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Ouch. Um, and in context, he's talking about hypocrisy in theology there. Um, speaking a different gospel. And he was trying to keep the same gospel that Jesus delivered, and that was getting people mad at him. And he wasn't pleasing them. And he said, well, I'm not trying to please you. First Thessalonians, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. People don't. I look around here, I don't know what any of you are thinking. Some of you are probably thinking, I wonder how long is this going to be. <laughs> you know, you, you may be thinking, well, I wonder where we're going to go to eat. Who do I have in the pool? You know, I mean, we all do that. Our minds wander, you know. And I remember that it's, it's, it's easier for me because I get to walk around up here. Uh, if I, I remember being on the other side. It's, it's harder. You know, we try to, you know, I don't tap dance, but you try to make it somewhat easy to consume when you preach because it's, I know you guys don't sit still for this long very often, do you, without your phones. Maybe you should just preach on the phone. <laughs> and everybody can have them, you know. But, but where's your audience when you look at this? You know, for Paul, he was, he was single-minded. His audience was pretty much was always Yahweh. It's just he didn't know Yahweh until he got smacked on the road to Damascus. And then he still wants the audience of one. This is an old Puritan idea. Uh, and again, there's another word. You hear the word Puritan, and we think Puritanical, and we think, you know, bad. Well, Puritans were good. They were the ones that kind of founded America. And, you know, remember the Thanksgiving with the gun and the turkeys and the... All that, that, that was pure. Um, what was the idea? What was the idea of being pure before God? You know, pressing, uh, keeping the piety going. But the Puritans, Cotton Mather, they wrote about this audience of one. I love that. Um, it's almost like, I don't know, does anybody know what a gyroscope is? It's kind of a thing you use to get your direction. It's always right. Um, it's, like, it's like they swallowed gyroscopes, you know. They, they were always focused on God. How is this, what is this going to mean to God? And what we do today a lot of times is we follow, you know, opinion polls. You know, a lot of people do that. It's like, well, what is this other people going to think? You know, and, and, and we have to be careful. It doesn't mean you don't care what other people think. I'm glad you all put on clothes to come here. I'm glad most of you showered. But, you know, so we do care what people think, but it's not the main audience. You know, you think about that, you know, when you lay down at night, if you do the thing that I've been trying to do is like you look at the, the nine fruits of the Spirit and see how I did this today. Very sobering. Who, how did, did I please God today? Is, where's my audience? Who am I trying to impress? And again, if you do have people around you and the closest relationships that when you, when you impress or you're having God as being, say, hey, good job, that they say the same thing, that's, that's the people you want as your core people. Uh, if, you, if you're pleasing people and it doesn't please God, you're hanging around the wrong people. That's, that's what we, as your core. So where's your audience? Who are you trying to? Don't, don't do the opinion poll thing. That is not good. Uh, I don't think it works in politics. It certainly does not work in the Christian life. You know, where, because God knows our motives. He alone examines the motives of our hearts, as we just read. So that's the giving thing. It's just, just give with good motives. That's all. And if what happens if you don't have good motives? What should you do? Well, let's go to the next thing. We're supposed to pray. Pray for good motives. <laughs> it's really not that hard, is it? 
The Old Testament and New Testament teach prayer as, as seeking God diligently. That's really what it is at its base. You see Daniel in captivity in Babylon being told not to do this. When he heard the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Was he seeking to praise God or was he seeking to please men? Who was his audience? You know, that's the, he did it three times. And he faced Jerusalem, which is in there. And it, it later in, in chapter 7, it talks about that Daniel, at the time of the evening sacrifice, was praying. Which is really interesting because the time this came, there is no evening sacrifice. The city had been destroyed. This was decades later. But yet he still prayed at the same time, remembering the sacrifices of the temple, remembering Yahweh. Because no matter where he was... Even though the sacrifices couldn't be done, he still remembered the one who commanded them. So, now I don't know if you do that. Um, Muslims have that. Uh, Orthodox Jews do this. They pray at certain times of the day. I don't know if you do that or not. Um, our tradition doesn't usually deal with, you know, Ash Wednesday and Lent as much. I know some of you still do that, and that's fine. We've talked about it. Maybe we will. We can vote, and then I'll tell you whether it was right. No, I'm just kidding. If we vote, we probably better. But, you know, that's okay. I mean, I think it, it, what happens a lot of times is say, well, we don't have to eat fish on Friday, and we don't have to pray at certain times. Well, you don't, but are you doing it? I don't know about the fish thing. But are you giving up things for God? Are you trying to put things in for him? That's what that's supposed to be for. And certainly it can get just like this, where look at me. I don't know if you've done that. I, I've been in traditions where you do the, the ashes on the head. And we can think, well, look at them. Well, how do I know where their heart is? Maybe that was the most important spiritual experience they've ever had. And I'm sitting there, well, look at them, they're being, you know, don't do that. Assume the best. How's that? And, and, but again, if you're not doing anything, then I'd do the, uh, maybe you should do the Lent thing. <laughs> I don't know. And, but the problem with Lent can be that we quit after Easter. You know, I, I think we should do this every day. What is your daily? What is your weekly? What is your monthly routine? You know, do you get up in the morning and pray? Do you do it in the evening? Find a time to do it. Get to the point where, and if you don't want to do it, say, God, help me want to do it. Get a partner. Get somebody to help you with it. You do know you're supposed to do it, right? I mean, I don't know when. Do it all the time. Do it when you can. But I, I think it's funny sometimes people say, well, I don't have to play three times a day. Well, how many times do you do it? It's like, none. I'd rather do the three. You know, I think what works for you. And we can help you with that if that's something you want to do. So, Really, how can we, and this is what he's asking, how can you pretend to be seeking God when in reality you're seeking the praise of others? That's what he's saying here. Jesus knows, you know. He knows the difference. So what are the real rewards? He says, he says this, you know. He talks about don't pray like the hypocrites. Stand in the corners so they may be seen by others. There's nothing wrong with praying in public, but what are you doing it for? They've received their reward already, but you... Go into your inner room. The, the old, uh, I remember as a kid, we had the King James Version. It said, go into the closet. And I'm like, my closet's not big enough. You know, that old word closet was just a little room that you used. Um, and I like the way this translates. You go into the inner room. Go somewhere where you can be by yourself. Because, um, you know, so often, you know, we get this in evangelical circles. You know, you'll be together. And I, you'll be in a Bible study. And we talked about that at the Welcome or a Life group. One thing I guarantee you, if I'm leading it, I'll never, ever do to you if you come to a Bible study or to a life group. I'll never put you on the spot to answer a question. I wouldn't want you to do that to me. 
and I will never ask you to pray unless you want to. Why? Because that's not the measure of, of, of piety. That's, you know, what God knows, right? But think about, we, we worry about that sometimes. Well, if you're an evangelical, you should be able to pray if anybody asks you. And it's like, well, maybe you should, but is that what Jesus says? I hope you can pray to God in secret. That's what you need to learn to do. Whether you can pray in public is almost irrelevant compared to that. Because I'll pray after this. We pray, right? Aaron prayed. We pray. You try to pray. You're praying for, we're praying for, uh, in Texas terms, all y'all. Not just y'all. <laughs> it's plural, so it's different. I mean, I'll pray tonight, and it will be different. You probably wouldn't want to hear some of those. You know, I mean, and you shouldn't. It's you and God. It's very personal. Do good at that. Do good at that. Because that is one of the rewards, is just a connection with God. Do we realize what we're allowed to do? That we can approach the throne of grace with confidence? This is your creator who's pure, perfect. That on the mountain, Moses couldn't even get close because if he revealed himself, he would completely be obliterated. And this is the one we can stop, focus, and lift up our voices and he'll hear it. That's quite a privilege, folks. And, as we'll see in later texts, we even get to call him Father. This is a connection with God that we don't deserve. It's grace. Prayer is grace. It, it helps us do that. We get, he gets to listen. And he does. Peace in our soul. You know you get that. You know, this is the idea that, you know, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's one of the promises. God says, I'll never leave you. So if you feel like he's not there, then say, hey, I need your promise. I need you there. We can know it intellectually, but I think he actually gives us a peace in the peace of feeling, too. It, it works. I mean, you guys have told me that. I, I, it works for me. Hunger satisfied. We had that in the Beatitudes, right? Hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you really hunger after God, he's just waiting to give you what he wants to reward you with. And the rewards aren't, you know, a nicer car and lower priced gas and more rain. And, you know, that's good. I'm all for that. But that's not what he's talking about here, is he? It's that connection with God. That's all you have when you die, right? You know that, right? What do we have left when we die? Are you going to give a hoot how much gas costs? Not that it's not. It's important. I mean, I filled my car up and complained like everybody else. But what's, what do you have left? Your connection with God and connection with each other. This is what the Sermon on the Mount's about. So that's all we should be worried. That's the hunger he's talking about. Forgiveness. It's going to be right smack dab in the middle of the disciples' prayer. Because without that, we can't really approach the guy. You remember in Isaiah, he says, I don't hear your prayer. Because you, you've heard that. That's one of those, you know, God hears all prayers. Well, I suppose in some way, because if, if somebody says that, God hears all prayers, you're going to say, what do you mean by that? You know, you, you figured there's a, something to ask? Well, because it could mean different things. But what do you mean by that? Well, yeah, he hears it, but he says, I don't hear your prayers. And he goes on because your hands are full of blood. Your heart's not in it. You're just heaping up phrases. I don't know you. And wait till we get to chapter 7, what happens to those who God does not know. That's not what we want. So this is very important. The forgiveness allows us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And then coming home. You know, one of the best lines in... Mere Christianity has a lot of good ones. And C.S. Lewis, he says, if, if it seems like in your life 
that if you can never find the thing that truly satisfies in this world, it may be that you've been made for another world. And prayer just gets us kind of into that world a little bit. It's, it works. It's what we're, it's such a privilege, you know, to do. And I think as you, I remember as a younger Christian, I'm like hearing people were praying for a half an hour, and I'm like, I can't even do that in a week. And I don't even want to do it in a month. But as you get older and you get closer and you get life things, you're like, man, now I can't shut up, you know, because you want that connection because it's given to you. And might as well take it. It's almost like God knows what he's doing <laughs> by allowing us to do this. It's a privilege to be able to do this. Don't go overboard. It's not about secrecy only. It's about purifying our motives when we pray. If you want to turn to Luke 18 quickly, this gives us kind of a, you probably know this, uh, a parable of, of praying and approaching God. Uh, he also told them a, a parable who, those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So it's that same audience he's talking to in Matthew 6. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, which is the worst of the worst. I mean, they, you almost had to cheat to be a tax collector. Not today. You know, tax accountants are good people. Um, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, it's the idea, let the audience of one be who you're after, you know. And that Pharisee doesn't come. You know what the Pharisee needed? He needed a shirt that says, I'm humble. That would have been, it, it reminds you, right, that this is what we're trying to do. And then he gets to fasting. And, you know, I... I this one's probably the hardest for us because it's not part of our life as much. What is Christian fasting? Well, it's very, it's abstaining from food. You can fast from basketball games if you want, but that's not really what this is about. It can be. I don't know. You can fast whatever you want. Um, and then when you break the fast, it's called breakfast. Where that comes from, did you know that? Um, so in the Old Testament, it was virtually equivalent to humbling yourselves before God. You see in Psalm 35, but I, when, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. That was a, what they wore, which sounds very itchy. Uh, I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. See, I afflicted myself with that. So it's actually kind of supposed to not be pleasant to some extent. Um, the Pharisees fasted twice a week. We just read about that. It had become less about humility, more about display. Because um, you see how Jesus says it. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say, they have received that reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head with oil. We miss that. That's what you normally did every day. This was kind of the Middle Eastern uh, first century shower. They didn't have wa water as much as we do. So you could almost take it. Take a shower like you normally do, hopefully. Wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Don't make this a display. 
only the Father is to know about your fasting. And, and it can happen if somebody asks you, you know, that's a lie. Uh, but again, this, what is this all about? Are we supposed to fast? Isn't that a good question? Uh, and I can't ask you, show of hands, who's fasting because you're not supposed to tell people. So I won't. Matthew 9, the John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? This is really good in verse 15 here because it kind of gives you the de- why you fast. What is the main reason I would do this? Jesus answers, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. I was going to use the word annoying, but that's wrong. Uh, isn't it interesting where God, Jesus often doesn't answer a question with a direct answer? <laughs> you know, guest of the bridegroom. Well, who's the bridegroom? Well, it's him. Um, he's, the, he's there. Why do you fast? Get closer to God. You just take something out, food in this case, and you put God in. And usually praying comes with that. You're trying to get closer to God. That's the way you do it. You can do it for five minutes. I don't care. But if Jesus is already there, it's kind of stupid to, you know, if Jesus were right here and you say, you know, wait a minute, I need to go pray to you, you see the problem. You know, when he's gone, then they'll do it. Then they'll do this. Uh, then, and again, fast to me, I think a good definition would be doing something physically to get closer to God. That's it. Um, I don't know how long it's supposed to be. We'll look at all of the texts that tell us how to do it. So the main part is not fasting here. It's, it's, it's a contrast between hypocriti- hypocritically self-righteous and those who are truly righteous. What are you doing this for? What is your motive? And the pr- I don't know if you knew this, but the practice of fasting is not commanded for New Testament believers. Um, but many who are prominent role models for us did practice fasting. It's up to you. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, it was done on occasion. It, it wasn't that often. Uh, Yom Kippur was the main one. But we had Nehemiah, the people of Nineveh, when Jonah comes to him, Daniel, Esther, Ezra. They all fasted for certain situations. So, and in the New Testament, we do see the apostles sometimes fasting at various times. But there's no instructions pertaining to the frequency, duration, or any other details about fasting. Actually, you could just take out fasting, put in praying, and there's no three times a day, twice on the weekends, you know. The only didactic, which is just kind of the, the teaching New Testament uh, on fasting, is in this passage. It's the only time we ever get anything about it, which focuses not on fasting but on the motive. So... Should we fast? I think, and I, I like to do this sometimes, especially to people who don't know that much about our church. I'm like, here at Grace Church, we're free. Free, 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 if you've seen the commercial. Um, we're gracie free. We don't really have a lot of rules. We have a statement of faith. And so do you want to fast? Yeah, I don't know. You're free. Do what you want. Read the, if you want to fast, fast. If you don't, don't. Um, if you can get closer to God in a different way, then do it. I mean, it's really up to you. God has given us such freedom. You know, we don't have to follow certain things. But why would we fast? What's the biblical reasons? Well, before special endeavors. We had Paul and Barnabas before a first missionary journey, you know. Uh, that's a good thing to do. Uh, to show repentance and ask God for great forgiveness, the people of Nineveh uh, when Jonah came. To learn self-control. Paul's analogy of an athlete. 
It's the old idea of how do you train. And he says, it is, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So it's, again, what works for you? You know, and don't, you know, if you ever say, well, I'm going to try this fasting thing. You know, do it for 30 seconds. I don't know. You know, don't get the double whopper. Get the one. I, I, mean, do, I mean, I'm just kind of being flippant, but, you know, start slow. You know, don't fast for a week and a half. You'll never do it again. Um, well, Jesus did it for 40 days. Well, I don't know if you knew that, but you're not Jesus. If you want to work after 40 days, more power to you. But again, why are you doing getting closer to God? Not to impress him. He's not going to say, oh, look at Brian. He's fasting. Boy, he is a really good Christian. I've never seen that before. You know, I mean, it's, it's to get closer to God, to humble ourselves. Um, to take something out and put God in. You know, it usually always goes with praying, obviously. And to share what we don't eat with those who don't have. You've seen that before. Job in Job 31 talks about that. A sense of solidarity with people. So, but the reason for doing it is not to advertise ourselves, uh, but to discipline ourselves. Again, that one audience. Think about that. If you're going to fast today because you thought it was a good idea, uh, or tomorrow, or whatever, why are you doing it? Don't just do it to do it. Do it because it's something you think uh, God would want, and because you, you want to get to know Him more. Uh, and I've, I've done it, but I'm not very good at it. I like to eat, periodically. And it's harder to do for some than others. But, you know, again, closer to God. That, and there's no teaching that says you have to do it. So we conclude this up. What is the cause and effect of hypocritical religion, whether it's in giving, in praying, or in fasting? Its effect is, is destructive, but the cause is self-centeredness. This is the problem. Who are we trying to please? You can trick spectators into believing you're something you're not. We can all do that. We can dress up and look great and, and, and act like we have no problems. And I don't think we have to spill all our problems all the time, but we all fall short of the, the glory of God, and somebody should come to a church and realize that we all are working toward perfection. We don't have it. <laughs> and the only reason we're seen that way is because of Christ. But tricking God's not really possible. And I'm not standing here telling you, go you've got some prayer you've been praying, so go fast about it, and then he'll give you what you want. That is not what it's about. In fact, I've done that. I've done that. It's like something you really want, so you, you fast, and then I still don't get it. But after I get done, I start thinking, maybe that's not the right thing to want. Or maybe I'm not being patient. Or, man, that was kind of cool hanging out with God for a while. Maybe I should do that more often. Even if it doesn't give me what I want. <laughs> There's a line in the Bruce Almighty movie. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, where Morgan Freeman, who is God in there, you know, remember Bruce got to be, I can't remember, like a third of Buffalo he got to be the God of and messed it all up. And he gets back with God there. It's all a mess. And he's like, I just gave them what they wanted. And God says, sis, when do people really know what they want? And that's kind of true. We don't see the future. You may think something in your life you're praying for that this would be the best thing, but God may see it not to be that. The best 
example I can give is if I was Peter or John or James or Mary or any of these people, I would be praying, Lord, don't let them kill him. God, don't let them kill Jesus. Because in my idea, that had to be the best thing, and we know that was not. Sometimes that's the way our lives go. Let's let God make the choices and try to figure out maybe what his will is as we go through that. So God sees it all. He's a constant spectator. He can't be fooled or deceived. So as we look at this, which spectator matters to you more? Who are you trying to please? You know, back to that audience of one. Do that in all that we do and all this other stuff kind of just falls into place. Let us pray. Father, as we look at this text, it's uh, so easy for us to call attention to ourselves in everything that we do, but we know it doesn't take long before we're humbled because of our insufficiencies, before the sin that still entangles. May each one of us uh, desire to have you as our audience, to put you at the center of who we are, to please you first, knowing that you, Father, will reward us in heaven. Amen.